because so much of what he said is going to be tonight's message. And it's a message that you heard many, many times, but it's going back to the basics of salvation and one and one only in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We need to have our ears open to it. Because, like never before, we need to be able to give the gospel to those out there like never before. And so to refresh us, to refresh our memories, the Lord placed this on my heart. Uh, you're going to know many people who this applies to, this message this evening. It's called, Are You Going to Heaven? Mm. Going to heaven. Now, I'm not going to use that term a lot in the message like I usually do, so you'll remember what the title is, but you're going to get the idea. Because one of the concerns that the Holy Spirit of the living God has placed on my heart is that so many are not going to heaven. And worse than that, so many who think they are, oh, they may not be. And so that's why this message, I believe, is important. Over the last several weeks, most of you know we've had some many, many events going on here in the church, and we've seen many things and we've encountered many obstacles, but we've also had many breakthroughs. Yet when I go to prayer, my heart is heavy, and for the most part, it's been very heavy over the last several weeks, because I can see so many that are held in bondage. And that's what causes my heart to be heavy. And it's not just unbelievers, it's believers who are carrying bondages that the Lord wants to set them free from. I know that God can do it, and I know that it's the desire of our Lord's heart that we be free. And I believe he's going to do it. I believe he will do it as we seek him, as we seek him. When at whatever holds us back from him, that can hinder us from having the breakthroughs, from having the relationship with him that we all desire to have if we call ourselves believers. So what I want us to do is to think about how can we, each of us, seek him more and be truly those overcomers that in that day when difficulties and trials and temptations come, we will stand and we will be more than overcomers, more than overcomers. Is there something in your heart, is there something in your heart that is occupying your mind? If it's the case for you, determine to release it because it's a choice that we make. It's a choice we make to seek him. Things don't just happen automatically. We determine in our own heart, I want to be free. And if you make that determination in your heart, you will be free. Amen. You will be free. We must go to God and then we tell him. We tell him everything. Don't hold back when you go to God. He already knows it all. He already knows it all. So never hold back when you go to God. Tell him everything. Acknowledge your shortcomings. Acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge your sins. Amen. 
the word that no one wants to talk about, that's been so neglected for so long, we have to focus on it, especially when we're showing others how to come to Christ and what he's done for us. Acknowledge those things, and guess what? As we come to him, as we pour out our hearts to him, he will heal us. There's no question. He will set us free. He will heal us. And the good news is, is that in that healing, he prepares us to love him, to love him beyond anything we could ever imagine, and he prepares us with a desire to share the very good news of who he is because we've tasted it and we've seen how good he is. As broken people enter our doors, because I believe that we're going to see more and more of them, so as broken people enter the doors here, I pray that we will they will find true disciples when they walk in here, people who are following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ, who are determined to walk in his footsteps. I pray that they will find a family when they come in these doors, a family of believers who are willing to give their all in order to bring others to the one who gave his all for us. Amen. Sometimes, sometimes, especially lately when I pray, the heart of God is so impressed on me that I feel such sadness because we are meeting people who've been made to believe that the kingdom of God can come to them without any cost. Multitudes today, backed up. They've just come and they've said a prayer because that's what someone told them. They haven't done anything else. And then they believe that that's all they need to do. And they call themselves Christians. But let's read what um, Jesus said. Let's read what he said to all the multitudes. Because there are multitudes out there who have done that very thing. And there's still more of them trying to come into the kingdom that very way, just with a prayer. But no understanding, really. No real understanding. Luke 14, 25 through 33, that's what we're going to read. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great multitudes went with him, that's traveled with Jesus. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So let's address something because it's a concern to a lot of people out there. Let's address that word hate. Let's address it right here so that we can focus on the rest of what Jesus said when we continue reading. If you're going to be a disciple, 
You must count the cost. You must count the cost of putting God first, of putting him so far above everyone else, even including yourself, as love is from hate. Are you following that? He's, Jesus is telling us the distance between love and hate is how far the distance needs to be between how much you love God and then everyone else. That's the distance. God must be first. And so that's why he uses that word hate. And I hope that you can explain that to others when they question that. Because it does sound like a high cost, but it's very, very clear. We're to put God first above everything and everyone else if you want to be his disciple. You must determine that the Lord is worth that price, the price of building your new life in him, because that's what he's going to give you, new life. And you've got to determine that it's worth it, that it's worth your refusal to do things such as agreeing to participate in any behaviors that God's word says he hates. So that's why he says to put him so far above others. Because all of us have people who we know, people in our companies, people in our lives, people in our own families, who may put many, many, many things that this world has to offer out there. And they want you, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to participate in them. And God is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you can't do that. Count the cost. Are you following me? Okay, so you see, if you're willing to run that whole race is what he's asking you. Are you willing to run the whole race? Count the costs. Are you going to run the whole race? race without quitting? He's asking you that. Count it ahead of time. Count it before you agree that you want him to be your Lord. Lord's a big word. Lord's a very big word. That you will not quit when outside pressures or demands come onto your life. Persecutions can also come, maybe even from members of your own family. Count the costs of agreeing with God's word and never compromising, even when you personally don't like it. That's what that scripture that we just read means. And the rest of it I mentioned when it comes to counting the cost as well. And that's Luke 14, beginning at verse 28 as we continue. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, least after he has laid the foundation and he is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The Lord wants us to count the cost so that we can finish the race. Finish the race put in front of us. Verse 31, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What he is saying in that, that part of the scripture is that when those come, 
who tell you you can have peace with this world if you will do this, if you will do that, if you will compromise here, if you will agree to that, if you will join hands with the kingdom, with the king of darkness, then there you could have peace. But the Lord says, no. If you choose to do that, you cannot be my disciple. So he's saying to the multitudes who were following him, multitudes were following him. Multitudes are, are calling themselves Christians today, and they've never counted the cost. They've never counted the cost because somebody said, say this prayer, and that's all you have to do. But there's a cost, and the cost is committing your life to him, counting what could be ahead, and determining whatever comes, I'm going to stay the course. That's the cost. All, all is what he wants. That's the cost that true followers must be willing to pay. Yet those multitudes that I spoke of, they claim to follow Jesus while living like unbelievers. You know them, you've met them, and those are the things that have really been troubling my heart a lot lately. Sin is minimalized, and therefore the Lord's sacrifice for sinful humanity is also minimalized. If we minimalize our Lord's sacrifice, we don't understand it all. We really don't understand, and that's why people are all over the place when they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't understand what he did, and how great their sin was. Our righteous, holy, and just God has shown us amazing favor and mercy and love. Those of us who seek after him hard, we, we see that. We know that. And they don't understand how great their own rebellion and sin are. It's rebellion and it's sin. And that's what we need to understand when we come to the Lord. When we understand our own hard-hearted, self-centeredness, our lifestyles that are like that, and hold that up, hold that lifestyle up against the light of God's holiness, then we can see the righteousness that is required and that had to be met that's the kind of righteousness that had to be met if we would ever, ever, ever be able to have a relationship with the Lord, especially in eternity with him. That's why my heart hurts, because there's multitudes who are going to miss eternity. And I'm hoping your heart will hurt, too, if you think about it. They're going to miss eternity with him. No one has pointed them to the Ten Commandments, and we need to understand this ourselves sometimes. They've not been pointed to the Ten Commandments of God and showed, it hasn't been showed to them, how every one of us has broken God's standards, and that the penalty of breaking even one is separation from Him. No one taught them to very soberly consider how temporary this life is. People live like this is all there is. Even those who claim to be Christians, this is all there is. So they want to do whatever. Soberly consider how temporal this world is, this life is. No one came in the spirit of John the Baptist. 
He came before Jesus, who came in this, no one has come in the spirit of John the Baptist in a very long time, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We don't like the word repent. No one gave them the bad news about how bad they really were. That's the bad news that makes the good news of the gospel a miracle. A miracle from the hand of the Father. A miracle that's beyond measure, that's worth grabbing and holding on to with everything you have. No one explained to them that sinful man can never keep the laws of God perfectly. Look at those Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you a quick rundown. The Ten Commandments from God brought down from Moses to the people that tells us that we must love God first and foremost and put him above everything else. But we're not to make idols or worship anything other than him. We must always respect God's name and never use a profanity. Don't use it as a profanity. The Lord created his, and ceased his work of creation, and he tells us to cease our work and rest in him. God commands that we respect our parents. Children break that, and so do adults all the time. That we do not kill, we do not commit adultery, we do not steal, we do not lie or covet. That's jealousy desiring anything that someone else may have. None of us has kept all ten of them, and if you say that you have, then I'm going to just point to you and I'm going to say you're breaking the ninth one, which is do not lie. Okay. 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 So if we can't keep them, that's not very fair for God to do. If we can't keep them, why have them? Well, the law, I'm going to tell you why. Because the law shows us God's character. It's exactly what that law shows us. It shows us God's character, it shows us his standards. And it shows us his holiness. God gave the law of Moses to act as a mirror. Okay, to act as a mirror. If anyone looks into that mirror, they'll see themselves for what they truly are. When you look at that law and you look in that mirror and your reflection is there and you see the law, you will see yourself for how you truly are in comparison to a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. He's telling us his holiness, his standards, his characters. Uh, we're lawbreakers when we look in there. You see a lawbreaker, breaker of the Ten Commandments. I cannot do this. I'm a lawbreaker. I deserve the penalty of a criminal in God's eyes. Every man stands as a criminal under the law of God. Every man stands as a criminal under the law of God. All of us. No one is spared. When we sin, we are first and foremost, according to God's word, sinning against God himself. When we sin, no matter what it is, we're sinning against God himself because he is the one who gave the law and who set the standard. Oh, well, then why did he create us if that's the case? If all of us are sinners and all of us break the law and it's just 
so unfair. My sins, you know, they're just little sins. My sins are little sins. I tell a little white lie, just a little white lie here or there. I haven't broken not one, any of the big ones. I haven't broken any of those big ones that he put there, not any of them. Just the ones, the, one, the ones that I see, you know, I see, I see everybody doing them. Everyone around me, they break these ones that I break. They're just little sins. Everyone's breaking them every day. Way worse, many of them, way worse than me. A lot of them, I look, they're way worse than me, way worse. But see, there's the problem. We want to look into the mirror of God's law. And we want to measure ourselves against others. We want to measure our goodness against others. But we are not measured by one another's sinfulness. We're measured by the law that God has spoken, the law God has given us as the standard. That's the tape measure. That's the yardstick. God's word. God himself is the standard, not what other people are doing. I'll give you another example. If I speed down the road, I'm not going to call out any names. If I speed and get ticketed by a police officer, okay? I get ticketed by a police officer, and I go to court. Will that court give me a pass when I explain that, well, yes, I was speeding, but you know what? Before I got stopped, three people passed me by on that road, and they were going way faster than I was. <laughs> no. I'm responsible. I am a lawbreaker. I deserve the penalty in that courtroom. And when I break God's law, I deserve, as does every one of us, the penalty. And God's word, unfortunately, bad news, he says that penalty is death. The penalty of sin is death. The death penalty. Paul wrote in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin, that which we have earned by sinning, is death. Ah, but thankfully it doesn't stop right there. Because the verse continues with good news. But the gift of God, <laughs> that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to everyone who believes and puts their trust in him, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that good news, for that gift. Because just before I was sweating, or I'm, I'm condemned. I'd be sweating if I didn't know this. Because there's no way out. The Lord Jesus came and he took the punishment that we deserve. And why did he do that? So that we can be looked on by the Father, not as criminals, but as righteous before God. So that we can pass from a death sentence into a new life. A new life. 
we did not see our own errors, we're in trouble. And if our own guilt isn't seen by us, our own ugliness, we are not going to be able to really see or appreciate the amazing gift of this eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How fabulous it truly is. How remarkable it truly is. If we've never cried out to him from the depths of our souls, I know I have. If we've never cried out to him from the depths of our souls in recognition of our own unworthiness, to even be acknowledged by him, think about who he is. He made it all. He created it all. Yet he comes down and wants to know you and me individually. He listens to our prayers. He listens to our cries. He makes a way for us. Wow. We need to cry out to him. We need to recognize. And then if we don't do that, if we don't see the beauty of who he is, Will we count the cost if we don't get it? And that's what's happened. I'm trying to say that's what I see happening. People don't get it. They're not counting the cost that Jesus Christ paid. They're not counting your own cost for what you need to do if you're going to continue to be in relationship with him. Because he just doesn't want you for a moment. He wants you for eternity. We cannot work at being good enough. We we figured that out. If you're a Christian, you already figured it out. And sometimes if you're not, you figured it out too because you just can't do it on your own. And you know it. And you need someone. You need something to help you. And even if we see ourselves as behaving better than others, like I said earlier, it's never, ever, ever going to be enough. As we stand before God, we are not his equal. We will never be his equal, ever. We need a redeemer. We need Jesus Christ. And he is the only savior. The word of God tells us there is no other, there is no other way. He gave himself as a ransom. He said, here's the price. He gave himself as a ransom so that we might have forgiveness and a fresh start. That's what he gives us. A fresh start, a new life in him as our Lord. Able to enter in now to the very presence of God. Into his very presence, bringing our prayers before the Father. Who is willing to hear them. And not only only willing to hear them, but willing to reach down and comfort us through the Holy Spirit. And willing to answer our cries. To pay that kind of attention to us. Because he now causes own. He calls us his own. If we have not recognized the breadth, the depth, and the height of our need, then we've not understood our Lord's incredible love, his sacrifice, and his unwilling and his willingness to, to substitute himself on our behalf. We have not understood the need for that because God is holy and righteous and just. So let me repeat now why I've been feeling the way I've been feeling. Because so many have come to Christianity without true repentance. Think about it. So many that you may know yourself 
and they have no idea or understand the price that it was paid for their sins. They're chasing after the blessings of God and the gifts of God, yet they are living by the same standards that the lost standards of society and their own whims. Whatever they want to think the Bible says. That's what they're living by. But they're chasing the gifts. They're chasing the blessings. They ignore the scriptures or take scissors to it. Oh, I love that. I see it all the time. Take scissors to it just to remove all those little niggly parts that they really just, parts they don't like. I don't like that part. I'm just going to pretend it's not there with my scissors. They take the strict scriptures out of context in order to try to make God's word conform to their very own desires. We're seeing that a lot by even non-believers or unbelievers. They're looking at the scriptures and they're trying to make it fit so that everyone's included. That's not what he said. He said there's one way. Some even say, and this is from statistics, but I'm not going to give all of them, that the Bible's not accurate, that Satan doesn't even exist, and it gets worse. That Jesus overlooks sin because he loves us so much. Or worse, that Jesus himself sinned during his earthly ministry. Can you believe that some people think that? And yes, these are people who profess to be Christians. All right, so let's clear that up real quick. Hebrews, I'm just going to run off some scriptures to you. Hebrews 4.15 clearly says that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet, 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 without sin, without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 tells us that Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. And one more for good measure, 1 Corinthians, two or three witnesses, right? 1 Corinthians 5.21 states, Jesus knew no sin. Okay? So I guess we're not going to believe that if we believe that he just went ahead and sinned while he was walking the earth. I'm heavy of heart because of these kind of things. And it's just as Titus 1.16 says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. It's when we come to Jesus and we understand that magnitude of the sacrifice he made and our own ineptness. We've got to get there. Huge sacrifice, ineptness. That we see his great love for us. He didn't have to do it. He gave us all that we might gain relationship with God now, right now, and forevermore. He paid a great price that we might receive a great reward. Do you agree with me? John 3, 14 through 16. It's the scripture we're going to read. And as Moses, and we know the second part of this, we skipped the first part a lot. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, we love this one, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish. He said, will not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Numbers 21, the serpent that we're talking about here, the serpent Moses lifted up on a pole in the desert. It brought physical life to everyone who looked at it and repented of their sin. Physical life. Jesus lifted up on the cross also brings life, but he brings it physical and spiritual. And he brings it to all those who repent. Did you hear that word repent up there? Repent of their sin and look to him. God offers this because he loves us so. You've got to do it if you want to know him. If you want to be with him, you've got to do it. So sometimes God brings us back and he says, let's take a look at the basics. And that's what I've been trying to show here this evening. He says, remind my people of this because he loves you so. Remind my people of this so that they might be sure to remind others. That they might be sure to remind others. Knowing what we know, because we know this. Knowing what we know, please, let's be sure to teach the need of repentance. That's been left out. It's been left out so much when people come to the Lord. What repentance really is, a turning and going the other way. In this case, following Jesus, he saves you, but then he says, I'm your Lord. That requires something of us. That's why we have to count the cost of being his disciples. And that's why a lot of us don't even want to call ourselves Christians anymore. We want to call ourselves believers or followers or disciples because it's become a word that doesn't really mean what, what the Lord intended it to mean. Amen. So let's be sure to teach repentance teach people to count the cost of being a disciple and then we're not going to have people out there running around saying they're Christians and doing all kinds of things that are definitely not Christian. Jesus demonstrated his love and he showed us how to serve. He showed us how to serve him and how to serve one another. Yet, we were created to serve God. not to be served by him. We've got to remember that. Because that's another thing that's happening. They're looking for God to serve them, serve their needs, serve their wants, serve every little desire. We were created to serve God, to glorify God, to do what he asks us to do, to follow what he requests of us. And guess what? When we do, wow. You find joy because you're fulfilling his purpose that he had before he even created in you in your mother's room. Well, that purpose he had for you, the purpose he had for you is what's going to fulfill every human being. And it's what's going to bring you his joy and his peace, the things that everyone wants, because he'll do that by his spirit in you. We were created to serve God, not to have God serve us. 
The law of God is now written on our hearts. Wow, we don't have to be reading them all the time. His law is written on our hearts. And let's not forget how that law is summed up. So easy to remember. Not a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, they elaborated on those Ten Commandments, and I don't even want to go into that. But just the ten alone, it's a lot. He summed it up in two things, which every one of us can remember, and we know what they are. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can all remember as you love yourself. Guess what? You might say you don't love yourself, but you do. If you, you honestly do love yourself because you want to protect yourself, you want good things for yourself, you want joy and happiness and peace and gifts and all of the things that God can give you, you want them. And so love your neighbor the same way you want to be loved. That's it. That's so simple. So, so simple. God's born-again children are enabled then. You know, we accept him, we come to him. We're enabled by the Holy Spirit now to approach everything the Lord asks us to do using those two commandments. So we no longer are bound to sin. Praise God to that. Because he shows a way out of every situation now. His word tells us that he will give you a way out of every situation that you might never be entrapped. So we no longer are a slave to sin. We're no longer chained up and bound by sin because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. We have the, the blessing of the Father upon our lives and he's going to make a way out. He'll show us that way because we're walking with him and he'll make that way out for us. I think I skipped a slide. Let's see. Aha, there it is. Okay, do you know that if we spend time with God, and I love this, if we spend time with God, God's character will rub off on us? Amen. That's great news. Spending time with God causes his character to rub off on us. we keep ourselves in the good company of the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit will do all the real work of producing godly fruit in us. So that's why he says you don't work at it. It's because when you're walking with God and you're in that close relationship with God, in his word, praying, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he's guiding you, he's leading you. And because you're in that tight relationship, you start acting like him. And that's the fruit that you will produce within you simply by spending time with him. And that's all he wants. He wants personal relationship with you. He wants you to come to his feet and say, I would not rather be any other place than right here. Like when Mary sat at his feet of Mary and Martha. She loved sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him, and watching him, and gazing up into his eyes, and watching, listening to his voice. We need to have that relationship with God, and we can have it through the Holy Spirit, because he's in us and with us everywhere we go. And if we do that, then he's going to empower us. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. Don't forget that. And he will empower us. He'll give us life. 
and he will show us how to simply be his vessel as we spend time with him. And while he works through us, that's right, he'll speak the truth of the gospel like we've just been talk talking about. Guess what else he'll do through us as we spend time with him and walk with him? All those things that we would like to have, all that gifting, all that blessing of being in his presence becomes ours. He will give us the gospel to speak with truth. He will have, he will heal the sick. Understand, it's never you. He will use you as a vessel. He will heal the sick through us. He will cast out demons through us. He will bring people to him through us. Amen. We want those things? Amen. So easy. So, so easy. Because God does the real work. God does the real work. Because also all glory is to go to him. You can't be glorified if you understand that he's doing the work. And you're simply a vessel. A vessel. So scripture is very clear to us. We're wrapping up. Our journey here on this earth is fleeting. Anybody disagree with that? The older we get, the quicker it goes. And we can, we can sense that happening. It goes so fast. One year to the next year to the next year. The world's temporal. And the scripture tells us the world is going to pass away. This world will pass away. But our God, our God is eternal. And our eternal God tells us that resurrection life awaits us. And it's a resurrection life that will last for all eternity. All eternity. That's really good news. And that's the good news that we're to preach. And that's the good news that should also bring our hearts. Amen. So, let's live kingdom life. Amen. Now, let's walk in the spirit. And let's overcome. As the book of Revelations tells us, to he who overcomes the cost. Walk in the Spirit. Overcome. Amen.